welcome back to the third part of a series on biblical parenting. First, I want to kind of talk about um, what we've already went over. But one good thing is that we have talked about, it's not always just about the parents. It's also about those who are around the children, who have influence on our children, especially here in the Disciple Center. As Katie was saying earlier, Liam wanted to tithe and he came to her and she was able to go forward with them. I remember seeing my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and people tithing in the church when they passed the offering plate. Even though we don't pass an offering plate here, that still influenced how I tithe today and how I'm obedient to the Lord in those ways. So today we're going to focus on boundaries and expectations. But first I want to review what we've already went over and so we can lead up to what we're going to be talking about because without these first two it's really hard to get to the boundaries and expectations setting those for our children so the first one i talked about was struggling with our own behaviors and making sure we do not pass along our struggling behaviors what we may have gathered from our own parents and push them onto our children these are things that we focused on we looked at genesis 38 And how Judah passed along his own sinful behaviors of sexual immorality. And it looked like his second son took that on and he was killed by God for it. So we can pass along our own bad behaviors. As we also looked at Abraham and how Sarah, he told Sarah, Hey, every time we go into a new province, a new land, please tell the king that you're my sister. So that he would not be killed. He was fearful of the men of the land and not trusting in God. And we see how Isaac, his own son, did that with Rebekah as well. You see, our behaviors today influence our children and how they're going to parent later on. So we looked at that and we talked about how that is so important to look at our own behaviors and overcome what we need to put aside so we don't pass it along to our own children. Last week, we looked at engaging our children, how God actually takes care of us. He meets our needs. It shows us within the scriptures how God provided for Adam and Eve their food and their clothing in times of need, when he even put them outside the Garden of Eden. We looked at how God interacts with his people, and in Exodus, in the Exodus of the people from Egypt, he provided manna, he provided the water. And he provided for meat as well. We also looked in Exodus 20 how it was more than just providing for their needs. It also taught us to set aside the Sabbath day. He created all of creation within six days working. And he actually said on the seventh day he rested. He's showing us by his behaviors. Not just telling us what we should do. Because we all think as parents our children should just listen to me rather than follow my behaviors. They learn a lot more by our own behaviors. And God rested on the seventh day. And he told the people in Egypt as they left, he gave them instructions. And we'll look a little bit closer later on how he told them, take the seventh day and rest. Gather in the manna. I equated that and we looked at how On the seventh day, if you do this in your homes, you can get to know your children a lot more. I got to know Michael a little bit more last week, and he chose the game of Uno. 
right? We were looking at the games, the different ways that children... And over here, Liam chose dominoes. Now, I already knew this because I've spent a little bit more time with Stephen, and he chose Monopoly because I know him a little bit better. But it's by our interactions with our children that we get to know who they are. It's by our interactions with them that we can get to know the little behaviors to tell if they're starting to get frustrated or if we're encouraging them to be a better person. So it's not my fault if I go a little bit longer today. I was talking to one of the teachers, and they said I've been going short, so I told them I'll go until about 6 when it's halftime for the Super Bowl. Um, no? That's not fine? Okay, I'm getting some notes on that. <clears throat> but if the Spirit leads me to, I can't help it. <laughs> Right. So let's go on. We'll start today with the boundaries and expectations. We just had a passage of scripture read from Proverbs 10, 14 through 21. And hopefully you didn't flip your Bibles back. Because I want to read this over again. Because what it does is it talks about how much we should be engaging and communicating with our kids. Proverbs 10, 14 through 21. Wise men store up knowledge. But the mouth of the foolish ruin its hand. The rich man's wealth is a fortress. The ruin of the poor is their poverty. The wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked is punishment. He is on the path, the life who heeds instruction. But he who ignores reproof goes astray. You see, that one, I want to stop there and talk about that. Sometimes, if we're one anothering in this congregation, and if... Randy sees that I'm going off course. I'm going to listen to him if he says, Trevor, what are you doing way out there in the world? You need to get back on course. He's helping me stay on path. Why? He's not only loving me, he's loving my, my child too. Because my child's watching where I'm going. The wise man listens to reproof. He who can't conceals hatred has lying lips. And he who spins slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I was just talking to somebody about this earlier this week. And how I learned when I first got married that if I kept talking to prove my point to Kara, I ended up being wrong every single time. But if I said what I needed to say, and I, she was able to think about it, and I wasn't trying to prove my point, most of the time, I can't say all the time, but I should say some of the time, I was right. <laughs> right? Unless she had a point to make, and then I definitely was wrong. But I'm saying, if you choose your words wisely, and you don't keep on telling your children what they need to do, they'll get it a lot easier. It goes on, The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver, The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. You see right there, the lips of the righteous feed many. As a parent, as a loved one in the congregation, one that is encouraging children, we need to watch how we speak to one another. We need to watch how we speak to our children because the way we speak to them can encourage them. And we hope 
as Anya does. She feeds so many of those children. And if you listen to her, she's encouraging in her words. And that's the way to speak to very many people. If you're ever around a large crowd and people are negative, you tend to not go towards a negative person. You tend to go towards the encouraging person. And sometimes it's tickling of the ears, but a lot of times it's the encouraging person. And we've got to be encouraging within the Word of God. Turn with me to Exodus 20, 8 through 11. We're going to see here how God tells his people to set aside the Sabbath. And what we're going to see is a basic understanding, basic instructions of what's going on here. As you're turning there, I want to give you an example There is clear and concise uh, instructions that we can give to our children, but then there's also a basic instruction. And I know you've all seen it, so let me give you the example. When you're about to go away for the day to go to work, and you tell your child to pick up their bedroom, and I'll check it when I get home, or perhaps you're just going to the store, and that's what you tell them, you've given them a basic instruction that they will take the definition and define what it means, right? So you get home and you go in the room and they say, yeah, I've cleaned up. And you go in there and they've made the bed. That's great. And then they've taken all the clothes that they had on the floor because that's what told you told them to clean up the room. And they put them on their bed. They cleaned up their room defined by them. But then there's also instructions that says when fine, you better have learned from this as a parent. Next time I leave, or you come back next Saturday and you're doing the same thing, look, I want you to clean up your room. You need to make your bed, and I want you to put your clothes in the dirty clothes hamper and the clean ones in the shelves, okay? That's more specific. Let's look at this Exodus 20, 8 through 11 passage. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Pretty general. Six days you should work. On the seventh day, rest, relax. That is the basic instructions of the Sabbath for his people. We'll read later on in scripture where he gets a little bit more precise. He's looking to see what they will do with this. But we can take it at that point and go with the basic instructions of what God had given them. And the Sabbath day is not just one. I'll show you later uh, the final scripture where if the Gentile will observe it, they're blessed by doing so. But we're going to go on to setting boundaries now. And boundaries and expectations are two different things. You can have, you need boundaries to create expectations, but you don't need expectations to have the boundaries. And the most important thing are the boundaries itself. 
If you'll turn over to Exodus 16, as I'm starting to set this up, we're going to look on how society itself doesn't like boundaries. Today, we'll see how people just don't want any guidelines, if you will. I've even seen it where our police cars don't even say to protect and serve anymore. It's service of excellence. It's, it's cutting down the expectations because people are fighting so much in the courts for these boundaries. They don't want them anymore. Yet we need to cling to what God tells us within his boundaries and his settings. Even today, I've decided to set up some boundaries for us because we all know a game can't be played when there's not boundaries on a field, right? So, and growing up in a poor home, not so wealthy, we had, I always, t- I always got in trouble when I had boundaries when we played football at the neighbor's house because I took my mom's stuff and then she would tell me, that's not a good boundary, son. You pretty much ruined what you did. So I learned not to take her stuff especially since my dad set down the, the consequence later on that night. <laughs> so these are the boundaries, if you will, of God. <clears throat> Let's look at Exodus 16, 4 through 5, a little bit more specific of what God's saying to his people. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather. Again, referencing the Sabbath. And in 15 through 19, it gives... So that's the basic instruction. Now we're going to get a little bit more specific. For it says, When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Mana, mana. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any until the morning. You see, more specific instructions in the latter portion. And I can't imagine not having these boundaries. Can you imagine playing a game without boundaries? You don't know what's in bounds or what's out of bounds. Anything goes. Randy may choose to keep throwing the ball and I may back away. Because I didn't know that there was six strikes before and out. Oh, wait. There's only three strikes before and out, right? I didn't know that I couldn't deflate a ball, right, (laughs) to a certain point. There's rules on that. There's rules. God has rules. 
God gave us so many rules, and they're good, and yet so many people say they're not. It's amazing to me how people want to do away with such good boundaries and expectations. So, this gives the Israelites that were taken from and delivered out of Egypt expectations on what they're to gather as far as what the Father is providing for them. Turn to Exodus 20. We're going to read over 1 through 18. But let me explain to you again. The Ten Commandments, as we're about ready to read, they are guidelines in how to live. There are so many religions out there that don't have guidelines. People don't know what to expect. But we, we have a God that loves us so much that He sets before us His Torah and says, Follow me. This is what I need you to do. In the same way as parents, we've got to set these guidelines, these boundaries, if you will, with our children so they know what to expect. My own profession, working with families and children, I've had so many parents afraid to set before their children boundaries because the society says, you can't do that to your child. You can only give them rewards. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But our God actually gives us these boundaries. And in Exodus 20, 1 through 8, God is telling them himself what to do and what not to do. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You, uh, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. We talked about this. A question came up. But the Bible talks about not keeping the iniquity on the father of the son's sin or the sin of the father on the, on the child's sin. This is talking about if you hate God, your children are sure to hate God. But if God has chosen that child, he can break that pattern of behavior. You see, it's easy for our children to get caught up in our own behaviors. That's what this is talking about here. And it goes on to say, But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, if the son, if the father hates the God of Israel, and the son says, You know what? I'm going to worship that God. He will be blessed. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner, who says with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. 
parents love this next commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. How come parents know that one all too well? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs in to your neighbor. Why would we not want these guidelines and these boundaries? I hear it from pulpits all around that that's the Old Testament. We're under grace now. This is something to teach us and to give us guidelines. I don't want people going around and killing or coveting or stealing different things. Those are all things that we learn as kids anyways. These are great guidelines and boundaries. These Ten Commandments, the the rabbis and many of the pastors, early pastors and um, Disciples say that these ten are expanded into the 613. There's more definition. These are just the basic guidelines. So it goes on to say, All the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You see, this was God. Telling the people, not Moses telling the people, this was God actually saying, do this, follow my instructions. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, we will listen, but let not, let not God speak to us or we will die. They were so afraid. God had set up these boundaries and telling them these Ten Commandments, and yet they got scared because the Father himself was giving it to them. We need to watch. I understand that. And I'm not saying it was a bad thing. I think the fear that a parent has from the child is a healthy thing. This was a healthy thing for them to fear the Lord their God. Today, society does not have that fear in their child. It can be a healthy thing. It can also be a very bad thing if you're doing it wrong. But for a child to fear their parent at a younger age is healthy because that fear turns into something later on that is called humbleness, wanting to be there for their parent, wanting to please their parent. There's no longer that fear whenever they get to be 14 or 15 years of age. turns into a positive relationship. And I don't want to let my father, I don't want to let my mother down. But when they're younger, they need to learn to be obedient. Just as we as children of the Father need to be obedient to His words. So we have that. And God giving those commandments. You see, they're not done away with. These boundaries have been here for thousands of years. Here and on this side. This righteous path is not wide. It's small. Even Jesus himself said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law. Until all is accomplished, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, 
he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying this isn't done away with. And let me tell you, friends and family here, you can't get to this point in creating boundaries if you haven't engaged your children. If you don't know who they are, if you haven't spent time getting to know them, you can try to do this, and they're going to do whatever they please because guess what? What you say really doesn't matter to them. I've seen it time in and time out. And the only fear is going to be the unhealthy fear because you're having to do things that you really don't want to have to do. Take the time, engage your kids, get to know them, and what really bothers them. For me, my children are both under the age of two, and I've learned that my voice can be just as detrimental as punishment punishing them in a different way. But I can actually get Rebecca, if you will, to go sit on time out with her behavior to correct that behavior because it's so detrimental to her. And then I can come alongside and we can talk. We can talk about it and ask her what's going on. Why were you behaving that way? And is she going to do it again? Yeah, she's two. She's going to do it again. But she's going to do it less if she keeps getting those timeouts. But it's a healthy fear. And at the same time, she'll come to me at times and say, Papa, I did it! I did it! And that's, again, the engagement. I'm going to come down to her level, and I'm going to embrace her, and I'm going to give her high fives, and I'm going to give her hugs. Because I need to do that a lot more than keep, than keep following through with these harsh boundaries. But I need, to know, I need her to know that you need to stay within this guideline if you're going to make me happy. And she's more apt to keep wanting to do the happy things than the bad things. So that's one thing that I've also learned. One thing that I've also told many, many parents. Are you, how many times are you going out with them to the park? How many times are you spending positive interactions with them? Because I'm hearing a lot of this negativity. And I'm not saying that your boundaries are horrible. But you need to spend the positive time with them as well. So again, we're going to move on to the expectations. And if you will, Matthew 5, turn over there for me. We'll see how sometimes people, as I said earlier, they only create these positive interactions or these positive boundaries. And what happens is, if you will, this field gets done away with. So there's nothing on this side it's only positive over here, and if they keep wandering over and over and over, before you know it, they're not even on the field anymore. They're way over here. And the parents over here saying, if you do this, I'll get you an iPhone. And a lot of times the parents say, oh, you did pretty good. I'll let you use the iPhone this week. When they didn't, they didn't do good at all. But the kid is learning that I can be good for one instance and for the other ten I don't have to and I'll still get the reward. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened up his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way the persecute, they persecuted the prophets who were before me. These are all positive things. You see, this is what the church actually preaches today. But there's another passage that shows us that it's not just about all these rewards. There's this other side that says, Don't woe are you who have much now and don't share. Turn over to Luke. We're going to see this in Luke 6. You see, Matthew was preaching and teaching to the Jewish people. And they knew all the positive But they also knew that there was a boundary on this side if you're going to be playing on this field. And that's what Luke... Luke is teaching more to the Gentiles who didn't know the parameters and where the field was. But it's almost like... Here you go, Randy. If you're doing good, here's a brownie. Just do these things little by little, right? I know you want the brownie, right? Maybe we'll get there. If you're doing good. Are you doing good with the struggling and the positive future? Or positive legacy, if you will? That's right. <clears throat> but Luke 6 gives the fuller picture of it all. And 20 through 28 says, And this should ring of what we just read. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil. For the sake of the Son of Man, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Saying the same thing Matthew is saying here. But here's this other line over here that makes it the parameters, the boundaries. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their father used to treat the false prophets in the same day. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him other also. And whoever takes away your coat, 
Do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. You see, here we have all of it. We have the reward, the brownie, the rewards that we can store up in heaven on this side. And over here we have the parameters to stay on the field. The church needs to be reading the Luke passage a lot more than they do the Matthew passage. Because too many people will come in here and they won't know that there's a limit to how far they can go on the other side. And all too often, people come in here and they will basically just, I'm on the playing field and I'm just going to sit down because it keeps me from having to do any sin. But in those passages we just read in Luke, it says, do good to the poor. Follow through for your neighbor. The Ten Commandments goes on to expound. If you see something that's going on and you can help your neighbor's livestock, if you will, they will have a responsibility. Just the other day, wasn't even my neighbor, but it was somebody at the beach when my whole family went to the beach. And these seagulls were just going to town and these people were gone on this Ziploc bag. And I was like, what's going on here? I walk over there, move the birds away, and they had this beautiful bag of seashells. And this scripture, because I'm in the Word, told me I'm responsible for those seashells until they come back. So I moved the seashells and put them underneath their blanket. And when they came back, I was sure to say, you didn't lose your seashells, but those birds were wanting them really bad, and I put them underneath your blanket. That was a biblical commandment for me to do. I couldn't have just sat there on the field and said, wow, I wonder what's over there. Because God tells me within his scriptures to follow through and help others. What did that teach my daughter when I did that? My own behavior said I need to protect somebody else's stuff more than my own. I need to make sure they're cared for. Something that I don't really think she'll pick up on at the age of two. But I hope it happens again at four and at six and at eight. That she'll learn these scriptures come to life for me, her papa. So, if you are the parent that says, Hey, if you'll just do your math. For example, just get your math done. I'll give you this brownie. And the child says, okay, and they work for an hour and they do 10 problems and there's 20 to get done. Well, you worked hard on those 10 problems. Well, here's your brownie. Stop it! Because you shouldn't be rewarding them. They're not done. Perhaps you need to be spending the time to help them get the rest of them done. And see what's going on. Because an hour is a long time to do those 20 problems. Maybe we should be working with them, getting to know who they are a little bit more. So today, I'm not going to give you a brownie, Randy. But next week, I may have some really good cookies. Well, see, the benefit of the doubt sometimes is good, but not all the time.
And I've known Randy way too much to give him the benefit of the doubt all the time. <laughs> Let's look at the Sabbath a little bit more. Isaiah 56. This tells us as the Gentiles how we can be brought in and be blessed for doing it. Even though the boundaries aren't there for us, it is a continual statute before all generations of His people. 56, 1-7 in Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is a man who does this, and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and holds fast my covenant. To them I will give my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigner, that's us, who joins themselves to the Lord to minister to Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Why would we do away with these boundaries and these guidelines that God has set up? Why wouldn't we not be reading the Torah and the Gospels even more to learn what He has set as His parameters for us? He's willing to accept us. He sent forth His only Son that we might come into the fold with with His people. And that is Israel. They're not done away with. But the Sabbath itself even in Mark two twenty seven, it says the Sabbath was not made for man. I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's not just one of the disciples' words. That's actually the Messiah's words. This Sabbath day, we need to get back to it if you're not doing it in your home. Spending time with your children. Getting to know who they are. Because as you do, you're going to have more of an impact on the next generation You don't just want to be known as the grandpa that wasn't around for their own son, but now you're trying to get in your kid's life because it may be long past and they may move away. But if you're interacting with them, they're not going to want to leave that relationship with you. And if they do move away, they're still going to be talking to you quite a bit where you'll still have impact on their lives when they become adults. These are things that God has shown us through His Scriptures because He interacts with us daily. I pray that the boundaries that we teach our children, we will show them that we're striving to earn the rewards on this side in the kingdom of heaven and not of the world. But at the same time, we're teaching them we can't go past this line either because we are God's chosen people and we have to follow within His boundaries. And He will reward us as we go forward.
May we teach those to our children. Let us pray.